0: So, tell me.
1: Oh, oh, sorry. I thought you were telling me <laughs> that was the how we were going to start. I didn't realize that we were starting.
0: So well, n- awesome. now we have started. So All I'm, right, on, very good. I'm on the right. government. I'm on the the LegalZoom website. Uh, it right. asked me for my company's telephone number. Yeah, and is is using a Twilio number a possibility for that? Is that a good idea or a bad idea?
1: Yeah, that is that is perfect. Uh,
0: so, what you could do is go onto
1: Twilio.com, and I think that's a way that a lot of people get started. Uh, on Twilio. So you can go there, create an account, and then purchase a phone number for a dollar a month. And using just a little bit of code, um, you can set it up to forward that phone number to any other number that you would like. Uh, So there's actually a couple of companies that have built apps off of that premise of using disposable numbers. So there's an iPhone app called Burner that is built for people who want to say sell things on Craigslist um, and don't want to make their phone number public. So uh, it will let you just buy a phone number, put something up on Craigslist and then get rid of it. That phone number once it has served its purpose. Um, and companies like uh, say Airbnb or match.com that will use these temporary phone numbers to connect to people who might not want to give each other their phone number. So if you book someplace on Airbnb um, and you want to talk to the host, the number that you would actually call or text in order to talk to your host is a temporary number that's been purchased from Twilio. Same thing with match.com. Yeah, so there's the, the the simplest use case, which is purchase a phone number um, just for a one-time use or maybe or even maybe a permanent use. A lot of people will buy different phone numbers for in order to track the efficacy of varying, various marketing campaigns. So they might purchase a phone number That only lives on their website and then when configuring Twilio, they'll have it ping Google Analytics whenever a uh, call is made right before it forwards it on to whatever the other number is. So then they can track in Google Analytics um, how many people actually called this number that only exists on the website. Um, And they might do the same thing for a billboard or for a magazine advertisement. And each one of those numbers just costs them a dollar. So, yeah, on the the simplest use case, there's buy a number, use it effectively forever, just have it forward uh, so that you more or less just have a work phone number that forwards to your cell phone. Um, And then on the more complicated side, there's all sorts of interesting use cases that uh, spawn when you have the ability to purchase a phone number in 20 seconds use it uh, in, for a dollar uh, a month and then throw it away when you're done with it and then purchase a new one
0: okay so my goal for our whole conversation is to like get the basics solid first sure and then yeah, see I'm how going. we can put yeah. the parts together sure. because you know i think that that's in my experience with julio the there are sort of a handful of things that it does and concepts that it uses that you can kind of like mash together to make other things that are interesting, but helps to know what the parts are and how they work. So
1: yeah, maybe it'd be helpful if I kind of step back too and just talked a little bit about um, how to started and just kind of the overview of what we do. Cause I think that helps uh, frame the context for um, the more
0: advanced applications and, and what the wide world of what people are doing with Twilio. Okay, cool. Yeah. So to summarize the, it's sort of like the, the intro hello world. If I wanted to use Twilio for the phone number for my new company and then for right now forward that to my cell phone and I'd figure it out later, that's like the simplest possible use of Twilio, right? That's like like a buck a month plus a little bit of money for whatever the forwarding is and, and that gets me going. I got that's, that right, right? That's correct.
1: Yeah, purchase a phone number, have it forward to a number you already
0: exist, It'll cost you a dollar a month and a penny per minute of use. Okay, cool. So uh, we can get back to other uses, but I think your suggestion was good. Let's rewind and go to the beginning of of Twilio. Why does it exist? Yeah, fair enough.
1: Okay, so uh, Twilio's mission is to change communications forever. That's our broad mission. What we've seen is um, that there's a whole bunch of different industries that are being affected by Uh, Software. So Mark and Jason said software is eating the world and that the fastest growing movie studio is Pixar Um, that pretty much, you know, Tesla is kind of a rolling iPad. Like the whole platform is based on software and it's really hard to even do maintenance on your car these days Um, in your own garage because so much of it's software and you need the the specialized computers. Um, And so, And every industry is being impacted by this. And so what we're seeing is that there's a number of industries that have historically been rooted in hardware. So think of what Amazon has done for hosting. Uh, So AWS or think of Heroku. It used to be 10 years ago that if you were going to uh, host a website, you needed to have some modicum of knowledge about hardware. And now I use DigitalOcean for my hosting. And in order to set up a new server, I just click a button. Um, we've seen Uber in just four years totally upend the taxi industry. Uh, and they are, they have, just by writing software, they have been able to uh, effectively put out a business the people who made the specialized hardware that would process credit cards in a taxi or, um, or the specialized machines that would do the, the taxi dispatch. Uh, we've seen Square do the same thing with payments, uh, where if you were a brick-and-mortar store and you wanted to process credit cards, You had to have a physical device uh, there present, and that device five years after it rolled offline would be the exact same thing. If the technology changed, you need to get a whole new piece of hardware. And now Square spends so little money on the actual hardware, uh, on that credit card reader, that they literally give it away. Uh, Their platform is entirely software-based. So what we've seen is this incredible opportunity for people who can write software to impact the world uh, in areas in which you used to have very specialized knowledge with hardware. And telecom is very much the same way. So the, the telephone network that we all use is about 100 years old. At least it started being created about 100 years ago. Um, and historically speaking, let's say 10 years ago, if you wanted to build an app or build a piece of software that could um, make phone calls or, say, send and receive text messages, uh, the first place you would need to start is by hiring a lawyer. Uh, because you would have to negotiate contracts with all the major carriers. Uh, so you could send messages over. Hire yeah. a lawyer. Boo. Yeah, right? More fun. Uh, then you probably have to buy tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars of software or of hardware, uh, stick it in a closet somewhere on site. You'd have to uh, dig tunnels out to your, your office so you could run cable out there. And then after you had spent tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars, you could begin writing your code. And you could, you could try out, try to test, you know, this call center software, whatever it was. Um, so what Twilio has done is they built basically an API over all of that existing infrastructure. And we believe that if we empower software people, if we give software people really cool tools to build things, um, they can do really interesting, like, solve problems. So as software people, we, whenever we see a problem, we try to solve that by writing code. Um, and so we saw this telecom problem. We're like, well, what, what could the world do? if building apps that could send and receive text messages and place and receive phone calls was as easy as making uh, requests to an API. Um, and so that's what we have. We have uh, an API like at the core, there's a, um, several different products we have, but our most popular products are uh, a set of APIs that allow your apps in a few
0: lines of code to send and receive text messages and place and receive phone calls. Cool. So it uh, helped anchor this timeline wise. So when, when was Twilio started, and what were some key milestones, if, if any, are interesting?
1: Yeah, it's a funny story. Uh, started in 2008. Our CEO, Jeff Lawson, is a serial entrepreneur. He had started up several other companies. Um, one, he had been the CTO of StubHub. Uh, and in several of the companies, but let's say, especially in StubHub, he had found situations where it would have been useful to integrate text messaging. Um, so say to help to a buyer and a seller arrange the meeting in order to trade the tickets and the money, um, and just found it to be an incredible pain in the ass. Um, and so after he did, uh, several iterations of this and then was looking to start up a new company, uh, he decided to tackle this problem, uh, that, that had plagued him as previous companies. So, and he had previously been a product manager at AWS, and so he had seen the success there of creating a platform for developers to build upon uh, and abstracting out the, the hardware. Uh, so that's where Twill started in about 2008 with him, just a
0: couple of the co founders. So it's a, it's a younger company than I realized, huh? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I don't know. I had some some idea in my head that it's been around for a lot longer and then kind of got like a, a fresh coat of paint more recently, but that's not true. I was totally wrong.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's been pretty incredible. Uh, you know, I've only been there for about four or five months, um, but the... Uh, but just learning about the history and um, and seeing how fast they've grown. I mean, they still consider themselves to be a startup, which I think, you know, out in San Francisco, it seems like every company considers themselves to be a startup, but uh, we very much are growing like a startup, are innovating like a startup, like move at the speed of startups. It's
0: been uh, really fascinating to, to watch. Yeah, I think much has been written and said about this, but I don't even know what that means, the whole, like, like you know, we're still a startup thing. I know.
1: So I asked the same thing. Like being in Chicago, I came from a consulting firm that was 30 people, and uh, we certainly did not call ourselves a startup. So I never thought of startup in terms of size. And even if I did, you know, Twilio totally was 300 people. Um, uh, and so I asked the question. Um, I think that San Francisco's definition of startups is probably a little bit different than Chicago's. And the answer I got was that it has to do with the Um, the focus on growth often. Um, So Twilio is really optimizing for
0: growth and and really trying to win the race because there's probably only going to be one or two people who really do this really well. Yeah, it seems like the the Paul Graham definition of it, which I think is, I don't know, as thoughtful as any I've heard.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think they're saying, you know, once things start taper off and you start seeing – 10% growth in headcount and revenue and whatnot, then you're probably entering traditional company um, uh, metrics and whatnot. But when you're you're seeing uh, 50%, 100% growth
0: in revenue and staff, headcount and whatnot, uh, that's probably still in startup phase. So I could buy that, I guess. The the two things that are – I didn't come up with this, but I don't remember who did, so I'm going to say it like I did. Um, The two things that are known or are defined by growth almost exclusively are cancer and startups, which I think is funny. I believe that's a Jason
1: Free quote from, uh, from Basecamp here in Chicago. And, um, oh, I will
0: give it. him – I like Jason, but I'm not going to give him credit for that. He's just well-known.
1: Oh, okay. Fair enough. Yeah, he was the <laughs> guy I ever heard say that. So that's probably accurate. Uh, but, yeah, I have heard the same thing. and um, Yeah, like I said, being from Chicago, I think I have different views on this stuff than a lot of the, the people out there.
0: So do you know much about how things work um, – sort of beyond the API, beyond the interface, and and sort of behind that curtain on Twilio's sides. Can I ask questions about that, or is that sort of past your four months of education so far?
1: Yeah, no, I I have a a decent uh, level of knowledge of kind of what happens there,
0: but uh, I'll tell you what, you ask
1: me whatever questions you want, and if I don't know the answer, I'm happy to tell you that I don't know the answer.
0: Okay, so um, since we started with the example of buying a phone number yeah um what actually happens when you buy a phone number so so for example i um uh i was looking uh, at i was making that decision and i actually did choose to use twilio in, in part to make this conversation fun and So I I went to the screen where you can buy a phone number and said, I want a 312, I want a Chicago phone number, and it gave me some options and let me filter them and and whatever. So where are they coming from? And then when I selected the phone number that I did, what actually happens?
1: Oh, man, that's a really good question. Um, So the phone numbers come from a, there's a governing authority who's, name is an acronym and it starts with an I and it escapes me at the moment, but um, they're the ones who actually provision phone numbers. And so they're the um, often when we're buying them, we're kind of buying them, think of it like at wholesale from them. And it's the same place where say AT&T and Verizon and other carriers will purchase their phone numbers from. Sometimes we're purchasing numbers uh, from the carriers as well. And that is a whole different uh, challenge. I mean, there's a lot of challenges with Twilio. Um, Some of them are a lot of them are technical. Then there's also these challenges of establishing relationships with carriers um, so that we can get phone numbers. So uh, we can, you know, we have a lot of phone numbers in the U.S., uh, but sometimes we'll run out of inventory in certain cities, and we'll have to, to go back and purchase more numbers there. As we expand into new countries, we have to work with the uh, provisioning bodies there and we have to work with the carriers there to uh, provision phone numbers. So there's an entire team at Twilio uh, dedicated to Going out and establishing relationships with the various uh, governing bodies and with the various uh, carriers, there so that we can always have an inventory of phone numbers,
0: uh, so we can sell these. So, all right, so um, let's use the Chicago example, because I would yeah. think that like three one two, like two one two in New York would be coveted phone number real estate. I would think, yeah. at least. So, are does someone own every three one two? You know, dot 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 phone number, and then you're sort of trading back and forth. How's that? How, like, how does a in-demand uh, real estate footprint like three one two work?
1: That is, I think we hit the, the limits of my knowledge. There, I don't know the answer to that. I will say that I'm surprised every time that I do a demo that we seem to always have three one two and seven one seven seven three numbers, um, uh, and I think we would typically have the two one twos. And so, but as far as the actual details of
0: what that process looks like. Uh, I don't know the answer to that. Gotcha. Okay. So I pick the phone number that I pick and then that, so you already owned it and then you're just assigning it to me.
1: Yeah, exactly. So the way to think about how Twilio works with the phone numbers is if you build websites, then uh, your website already has, think of it like say an IP address or think of it, say a domain domain name might be a better analogy. Uh, So you have a domain name and when somebody types in to the browser uh, google.com. Uh, it looks out to the DNS, and the DNS is effectively like the white pages of the internet. So it looks at the domain name, and then looks at the IP address. And then routes uh, basically makes an HTTP request to the IP address to the server located that address for instructions. And in the case of a browser request, those instructions come back in the form of HTML and images and maybe JavaScript and whatnot. Um, so Twilio gives your web app A phone number in addition to a domain name. And so, and then the mechanics of what happens are very similar in that when somebody either sends a text message or makes a phone call uh, to that number, then that, you know, Twilio owns that number. Um, So then Twilio makes an HTTP request to the uh, webhook or to the the URL that you defined. So you'll define one URL for messaging, one URL for uh, phone call. And it makes an HTTP request to that endpoint. And then your server will return instructions um, based on the information that comes in. So uh, what you will ultimately return to Twilio uh, is XML. Uh, their instructions, uh, we call it TwiMLs, like Twilio XML. So there's a number of verbs that we have. So things like dial a phone or send a text message or after you've dialed the phone, play this MP3 or drop everybody that we have called into a conference number. Um, so, again, it's called TwiML, but it's just uh, XML. And so you to return that back to Twilio. And then based on the instructions that Twilio gets from your server, it will perform the actions with the phone
0: call or with the text message that, that came in. So the um, I haven't used Twimmel enough to have a big opinion, but it seems not Rusty. Is, uh-huh. is it, what's up with that?
1: Yeah, it's absolutely not Rusty. Uh, but the... Kind of the reason why it's not rusty is that we're not uh, the things that you do with Twilio are not necessarily they don't necessarily fall under like the REST paradigm, right? So um, there's a lot of things that you're doing with Twilio that are not necessarily like uh, what you would expect in like you're not necessarily updating records, creating new records, um, getting records, deleting records, etc. You're doing things like. Initiating new phone calls and sending and receiving text messages and whatnot.
0: So now, like rest advocates would roll their eyes at that. I think that's fair. totally fair. Um, but that, like, so, so it, there isn't some like grand philosophical reason for it. It's just the you know that that's just the way that Twimmel was built, and here we are. Is that the deal?
1: Uh, yeah, you know, again, if there is a, a grand philosophical reason, I haven't stumbled across it. Um, I think that a lot of people probably end up. Um, not necessarily making those uh, those API requests uh, directly. Uh, a lot of people, most people, whenever they're interacting with the Twilio API, are often doing so uh, via the helper libraries as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's a little bit obfuscated. So we have helper libraries for just about every language that you would build an app in. Uh, so Ruby, Python, .NET. Uh, I don't think we have one for Basic, uh, but we and then we also have. Um, Helper libraries for us, say iOS and Android and whatnot. So, oftentimes when people are interacting with the API, they're not actually uh, actually writing out the URLs themselves. They, they certainly could, could. Um, but the documentation is pretty good. But yeah, I could I could certainly see rest,
0: restful people rolling their eyes on it. Well, when I first came across Twilio, I think that the combination of um, that it was uh, XML based and not very REST centric felt um, not Railsy. And, and, uh, I don't think it's, there's not much of a learning curve to understanding Twimla. It's straightforward, but, but it, given that it felt different, that, that was a thing to me.
1: Yeah, I totally understand that. Um, and you know, it was not built necessarily to be railsy or it was not built to be railsy. We really take a, um, technology agnostic view on people using our API. So a lot of people built rails apps against it. A lot of people have .NET apps against it. Um, especially, say, in the enterprise uh, world. Um, But, yeah, I could certainly understand uh, that complaint.
0: Yeah, it wasn't even – I mean, I don't want to make it sound like it was a complaint. It's more uh, um, in the first couple days or maybe the first 20 minutes, it felt – I don't know. It felt a little more foreign than most other things feel. Now, I agree that the the Ruby um, client uh, didn't at all. That felt very – I mean, it, it pretty much felt familiar, although uh, the Twimmel's never all that far away. So, you know, you kind of it felt like you had to be familiar at the very least with it to understand everything that was going on. But, um, yeah, but, and, and so not a criticism, just uh, if, if people listening come across uh, uh, Twimmel, be prepared for it to not feel completely like everything else you work with, and it's no big deal. Oh, I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, okay, so, so now I have my, I have my phone number. And uh, you kind of gave the the basic overview of 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 how I register. Then a webhook to tell Twilio what to do when it receives a a call, right? And then th- that that uh, server responds with instructions. So w- w- give us sort of a tour of of what the instructions may be.
1: Yeah. Sure. Um, so yeah, like I said, the the instructions are uh, called Tomo, So um, say for instance, you were to I think one of the one of the favorite use cases is dealing with SMS. Um, it's kind of a crowd pleaser, so uh, oftentimes, the first app someone will set up with SMS will be just a simple autoresponder. So somebody sends in a, um, a text message and you respond back with another text message. So in that case, the XML would look like uh, response. There's a, a response tag, and then nested inside the response tag is a message tag. And then inside the message tag, there would be the body of the message uh, that you wanted. So that's kind of the simplest use case. Um, in, the, in the case of, say, a voice call, uh, you let's say you, earlier we are talking about forwarding a phone number. Um, so somebody would place a call and totally would make the HTTP request and we would return back an XML file that would have a response response tag and nestle in the response tag would be a dial tag and the body of that dial tag would be a phone number that you wanted to dial to connect the call uh, to each other. Um, so that's kind of a, the simplest use case. Once you actually were to dial that phone number, there's a number of things you can do. So you might end up dialing um, several numbers, so there, you might have four or five of those numbers, uh, four or five of those dial tags in there. And then for each one, you might put a conference tag. So you can create a conference room on the fly and you could drop everybody that is connected uh, into a conference call together. Um, you could also do, if you were to walk through the quick start guide, so typically it's the people's first exposure to Twilio is by going through the quick start guides on, uh, on the docs part of our website, um, they can get you up and running in probably about 30 minutes or so. Um, but often the first thing we do there is that I hate to ruin the surprise, but we'll end up Rick rolling you. So we'll have you call yourself. And then play an MP3. It's kind of this innocuously named MP3 that resides on our servers. Um, and when you pick up the phone, it's uh, it's Rick Astley there. Um, we also can read uh, like have a robotic voice read you information. So that is the say tag, and then you just put the message in there you want. And you can control the voice. So there's a male and a female voice. Uh, you can tell it to loop, so you could repeat something. Um, so that's kind of all. Somebody picks up the phone and then what are you doing with them, uh, either making output or
0: forwarding that call to somebody else or um, placing them into a conference call? Okay, so let, let me ask you a couple questions yeah. about that. So I think the first thing you said is that you can have, or maybe the second thing was that you could dial multiple people. Is that is that sort of like a hunt group where, you know, if one picks up, then, then it, it actually sends the call to them? Or...
1: Yeah, yeah, there's a, exactly. You can have, I think the technical term for that is a dial down. So, what some people do, say, if you had a sales team that uh, was distributed and you had, say, 10 sales guys who were all over the place, you could put each one of their numbers in there. You could have someone call the phone number on your website and it rings all of them simultaneously. And then the first one to pick up, uh, it's going to kill the call for the other nine, and that person will get the call. Okay. Um, okay. but then you could also have the other method, which would be, say, to initiate a conference call where you want to call everybody and then, uh,
0: connect them all together in a conference call. So it's a slightly different forms of. Gotcha. If you look okay. Cases. Okay. So let's talk about all the, t- the types of, um, uh, I'm not sure what the right word is for this endpoints that I could call. So obviously a phone number, that's one, um, a, like, what if someone wanted to have um, a customer service representative or a salesperson that was using not a phone number but some sort of, I don't know, client in a browser or on their phone that wasn't their that was more of like a over IP kind of uh, connection? Is that a thing or is, or is that not a thing? That is such a good question. I'm so glad you asked. Because, uh, yeah, we, we have what's called Twilio Client.
1: And this is actually on my mind because last week we had uh, here in Chicago the Twilio Roadshow, um, which was kind of the last couple of years we had was called TwilioCon. It was a conference out in San Francisco and the roadshow was a kind of like a traveling mini TwilioCon. Um, and one of the things we talked a lot about was, um, being able to build call centers, uh, using Twilio and using Twilio clients. So, you, If you were to go to Quick Start Guides and look at Twilio Client, there's probably about 15 minutes or so, you could create um, a phone in the browser. So it, it, you open up the browser and you punch in a phone number and it will ring someone's phone. So what we're seeing people use for that is actually just an announcement with a partnership we're doing with Google. And
0: you can buy a phone you, Wait, you guys are partnered with Google? I would think that they'd be like the the scary monster in the corner.
1: Yeah, you know that's a really good uh, point. I do believe, and I can't, I I can't speak uh, in details on this, but I say go Google this. Um, that Google has <laughs> starting to, to deprecate. Like, yeah, that's right. sort
0: of an ominous comment. Yeah,
1: seriously. Uh, well, I I think that Google is starting to deprecate their Google Voice functionality, um, and they're they're not planning on supporting that as much as they they were. But I could certainly see with Android and whatnot where uh, you could see them. Uh, uh, as being a potential competitor, um, but they haven't done anything to compete with us one-on-one just yet. Um, uh, but no, what we're actually partnering with is uh, for call centers. So uh, instead of having to have all your call center agents in one room and running the phone lines out there and buying everybody a phone and whatnot, uh, what you can do now is buy a Chromebook for about two hundred bucks or three hundred bucks, and with the Chromebook and with Twilio Client, you can set up effectively a call center in the cloud. Uh, you can buy a phone number for each one of your call center agents um, and then basically run a fully distributed um, call center, and all you need is a,
0: a Chromebook for each customer service representative. So um, right, so, so remember, this is a, this is a podcast for programmers. so yeah, I, there there are, I will get uh, scorn if I do not sort of ask a couple questions about that. All so right, let's, let's do it. I mean, What's the aside from the marketing partnership, I mean the Chromebook part of that statement is is not a thing right? I mean in other words, like my you know my iMac that I'm currently looking at or my Macbook pro or my Windows machine, they all should work fine, right?
1: Yeah, it's just straight up a cost thing. Uh, it's just the fact that those are uh, a lot more expensive if you're building, and that's all like what the partnership with Chrome is is that um, I think uh, that. Um, I think that if you look at Chromebooks, one of the places where they'll probably start gaining a lot of market share is building Chromebooks for highly specialized uses. Because obviously for a lot of developers, like I have no interest in adopting a Chromebook as my day-to-day machine. Um, But if you start thinking of a Chromebook as uh, something that just allows you to interact with the web, there's a lot of very specialized use cases in which it makes sense, which you don't need a um, full-blown
0: $2,000 MacBook. Okay. So like for, for my business, the the division that I just started then, so the idea is that let's say for a customer service rep, and let's say I wanted to use someone, you know, in some other part of the country or the world, then if they didn't have a computer at their disposal already, either because they were sort of sharing a computer they had from some other purpose or whatever, that instead of buying one for N dollars, I could buy a cheaper Chromebook for like, you know, uh, Uh, 80% less than N, and uh, given that it runs through the browser, you're saying, you know, they're good to go. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. All right, that's not too eye-rolly. That's reasonable. Um, I mean, I think that for a lot of, it seems like for a lot of people that they already have, uh, in the workplace, they already have access to a computer, whether it's a crappy Windows or a Chromebook or a nice new computer. Uh, But you're saying if they didn't already, then this would be an option to get it cheap.
1: Yeah, or if, say, you're trying to build a custom call center from scratch, um, and it's an alternative. In this one particular use case, this is an alternative to the historical way of uh, building out a call center, which would be, say, buying a bunch of equipment from, say, Cisco, uh, and then buying really specialized, like, the Cisco phones that you see in everybody's office, like the voice-over IP phones and whatnot. Gotcha. Um, This way you could just buy the simplest laptop you could get, which in a lot of cases is going to be a
0: Chromebook. Cool. So – does the do the clients work on uh, it's you know any browser that supports what? What's the what in that sentence?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. So there's a new technology in the last couple of years that's getting really popular called WebRTC, um, and what WebRTC allows is uh, is actually really exciting. So it's Web Real Time Communications. And we've had real-time communications over the Internet for quite a while. So think Skype allows real-time communication uh, initially over voice and then now over video. Um, FaceTime does the same thing. Google Hangouts does the same thing. Uh, but the difference is that historically you have needed to build a standalone application for that. Or in the case of Google Hangouts, I may not remember this, but the first time you ever used Hangouts you had to install a widget uh, into Chrome or into Firefox in order to make that work. Or to make it work in the browser, we have historically had to use Flash in order to gain access to your microphone and to your camera. Um, so WebRTC is a technology that was pioneered uh, by the Google team, by the Chrome team, but is an open standard. It's been adopted by Firefox, I believe, in the most recent announcement. Uh, Apple said that they're going to uh, start a lot so Safari, but I didn't. Uh, I think I heard that, but I would double-check on that. Um, and what it does is it's a native JavaScript library that gives you access to the camera and the microphone uh, of your computer. Um, and then it allows you to establish peer to peer connections in the browser. So, I think you could do things like uh, building a BitTorrent client actually in the browser, or only needing to know how to use JavaScript. Um, you could build native video chat applications in the browser. Uh, so, check out talkie.io. It's from a, a company called And Yet, it's a consulting shop. Uh, I believe they're in Seattle, uh, that's doing great stuff in this field. So Twilio now uses, uh, when we can, uh, on supported browsers, we use WebRTC in order to gain access to the, uh, to the microphone. Gotcha. Um, now, if you're in a browser that does not support uh, WebRTC, such as Internet Explorer, we will detect that, and then we will fall back and serve up a Flash widget uh, Flash applet, uh, that will gain access to it. So we're pretty smart about that. It should be fairly seamless from your point of view, but our preference, and I think the way in which the world's going, is to use WebRTC to use the native browser controls. But if that doesn't work, we can figure that out and, and work around it using Flash.
0: Gotcha. Okay, so the the client then in uh, the, the web client is, you guys provide an out-of-the-box client that that will... I don't know, provide basic phone features or is that, is, are there open source versions of those or is that something one has to build themselves? Like what what are the options?
1: Yeah, good question. So it's um, really, what we have typically done is to shy away from building products. Um, so we, our feeling is, Our job is to inspire and equip developers. So we build tools for developers to build stuff on top of this. So we're just, we're a plumbing company. Uh, We're a little bit more than just an API company, but most of what we do is an API. Um, So you can walk through the quick start guides and we have some code you can copy and paste in probably about Um, you know, the demo I often do for Twitter client probably involves about 30 lines of JavaScript, 30 lines of HTML and about 12 lines of Ruby and a Sinatra app to build a functioning, um, you know, phone in the browser. Um, but after that, it's kind of on you. Uh, and you will find a lot of great open source. Like people have built good stuff. Uh, so there's a company called zest finance. Uh, that has, there's a, if you Google Zest phone, there's a GitHub repo as an open source call center solution that you can drop into, say, a CRM um, so that you could uh, actually make phone calls from your contact book uh, and, say, a sales case. Um, so there's a lot of cool stuff out there that's open source, but what we focus on is making that API uh, as sturdy and as easy
0: to use as possible, and then we let the community and uh, our customers build tools on top of that. I mean, I would, I think most people listening would much prefer that approach than any other. As long as the, you know, it'd be nice if there was a pretty good open source community around building things on top. And it sounds like at least the Zespone example was pretty good. Um, yeah, super impressive what they built there. And we're really thankful that they open sourced it.
1: And that's all built in Rails. It's a, it's a great example if you want to see how to do some of this stuff in Rails.
0: That's uh, that's super cool. Um, and good for them for open sourcing. Is that a new thing? Yeah. It looks a...
1: Uh, yeah, I don't know how long it's been out. In the last year, though.
0: Yeah, it yeah, looks like a bunch got committed uh, two months ago, and not that well known of a project. Only twenty three stars, so huh. that's nice of you to mention it. Um, all right, so we should take a break because uh, we've gone long without me doing the first sponsor. You mind? Yeah, please go ahead. Okay, so we've got two sponsors today, and the first is CodeShip. Um, CodeShip makes continuous deployment simple. You can set up continuous integration in just a few easy steps and your software will automatically deploy when all your tests have passed. CodeShip has great support for multiple languages and test frameworks. You can easily integrate with GitHub or Bitbucket for code hosting and then deploy uh, basically wherever. So to cloud services uh, like uh, Heroku or AWS or to your own uh, servers. You can start out uh, with Codeship's free plan and setup only takes a few minutes. You can go to Codeship.io, that's C-O-D-E-S-H-I-P.io slash 5x5Ruby and use the offer code 5x5Ruby to get 20% off any plan for three months. So, again, you can sign up for free to get an idea uh, about what it's all about. Uh, Then if you want to uh, continue, you can get 20% off there. Uh, pretty good prices for the first three months. They also have a blog at blog.codeship.io uh, that they maintain and update pretty regularly. Um, I've mentioned it before, they've got a video on the the uh, homepage of their website that I think gives a pretty good overview of what they're all about too. So uh, Codeship has been sponsoring now for a handful of weeks. Uh I think they're a, a great company. I, I've used the software myself and really enjoyed it and uh, would recommend that everyone uh, try them out, both uh, to make your apps uh, and de- uh, deployment and testing process a bit better and to support the podcast. So, again, that's CodeChip uh, at CodeChip.io slash 5 by 5 ruby Thanks to them for sponsoring. All right. Okay, so we've covered... uh Uh, a couple of sort of things you can do with a phone call. You can send it to a phone number or you can send it to a client. Now you didn't, you didn't say how it is that that happens. So, uh, on the, the, the hosting of the client of the phone. So, so you put the endpoint in for, um, the phone number and then that application handles the call.
1: Yeah. Right. Yeah, and so actually in, oh, I want to mention one more thing about the client too, which is uh, one of the more interesting use cases is to build a uh, a phone in the browser that so your browser can call phone numbers. But you can also set it up so that browsers can call other browsers. So you could do things such as uh, build a multiplayer game in the browser and then drop everyone uh, who's on that browser into a chat room. Uh, so they could, uh, I guess you could recreate the joys of voiceover modern warfare,
0: uh, in a browser. But, um. <laughs> now, so, now do, do you have to be 13 and yeah, right, yeah. angry to use it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so <laughs> maybe we can, uh, we're
1: trying to change communications forever, right? So maybe we can uh, improve upon that experience. Right. Um, but the way that you would set that up, uh, to answer your other question is that you're just in your Twilio dashboard, Uh, there's uh, under dev tools, there's an option for TwiML apps. So for each application that you'd be building that works in the browser, uh, you would define an application and it gives you an application uh, SID that basically just is a unique identifier for it. Um, and so then in Ruby or whatever your language of choice is, uh, Ruby for this crowd, I suppose, uh, you would create what's called a capability token, which is like really similar to if you're setting up, uh, say OAuth or something, uh, that just says this app has the, uh, has permissions in order to communicate with this, um, predefined Twilio application. Um, and then from there you can associate it with phone numbers that are attached to your calendar or whatnot.
0: Okay. All right. So, so if, if there was an app like, you know, my call center app, uh, then that would be one of those apps that then would receive the, the call to a given number. And then, you know, whichever of the clients that was connected to that that picked it up would get it or however else it was configured. Is that right? Yeah, so
1: in the similar case, like we were defining before, when you would buy that phone number, you would uh, define the endpoint where the instructions live in order what to do when somebody places an inbound call to that number. And in that case, those instructions would say, connect it with this uh, Twilio application that I've created previously. Got it. And effectively ring ring this
0: uh, phone in the browser. Okay. So uh, next question is, what about a... uh, Mobile, either uh, you know, uh, Android or iPhone device, or even a iPod Touch or anything that's you know running a, a mobile operating system, is that, uh, is that also a, a thing now?
1: It it's absolutely a thing. Yeah, we have uh, libraries for iOS and Android, so you can turn a iPod Touch into a phone. Uh, you could build a client that and buy a phone number from Twilio. Uh, people have used that in the past. So, like, so let's say you go to Europe and you're on AT&T and AT&T doesn't support international roaming, uh, it would be trivially easy for you if, you're, you know, if you've done this kind of thing uh, to build uh, an app on your phone
0: that would allow you to place outgoing calls um, every every non-programmer in the, programmer in the world just, like, threw eggs at you.
1: Yeah, yeah, fair, yeah, fair enough, yeah.
0: <laughs> it's it's trivially easy to roll your own phone for <laughs> travel. I like that. Uh,
1: trivially easy is it might be a bit of an overstatement. But, um, uh, but, yeah, and you know what? Actually, for Android, I haven't played with this yet, but RubyMotion just announced last week that they're going to start uh, supporting Android. So you can actually write Ruby code. And have it compiled down to an Android device, uh, which is super cool. Yeah. I switched Android a couple weeks ago from my iPhone that I had for five years or so, so. You did? Yeah, I did.
0: Yeah, you're the one that did it.
1: I know. Yeah, it's and I got to tell you, man. Like I wrote some on my blog uh, about like after a couple days in. Um, I'm glad I switched. Uh, I think the most compelling argument I heard is this, uh, this guy I respected said. Um, you know the iPhone is so great; it's so easy to use even my grandmother can use it. And I decided that as a developer, I don't want to use the same phone that my grandma uses. Uh, so I found it to be more powerful, more customizable, and more frustrating. Um, It's—I uh, definitely feel like I have a lot more power and control over the device. But there, man, the iPhone, like, I mean, it's just the interface; everything about it's just like so well designed. And uh, yeah, I guess, did did you get one that's more huger too? Uh, yeah, I have a Nexus Five. so... <laughs> Um, and the big screen takes some getting used to, like your thumb doesn't reach all the way across the screen. There's a lot more two handed use. Um, yeah, it's, it's, you know, like I'm still glad I switched. Uh, but I I don't know that I would just blanketly tell everybody, uh, Hey, you should, um, go switch. Ultimately, I think Android's going to capture a lot more market share, they might actually already be used more than iOS. Um, Oh, by a lot, I think. Yeah, I think so too. Um. So, you know, I, I kind of want to get into that. I want to start doing some app development on it. Uh, so I'm kind of willing to, like, endure some of the frustrations of it. But uh, as a pure consumer, I think I would prefer iOS so far. Uh, they say affinity or what is it? Familiarity breeds affinity. And I've had an iPhone for, like, five years. I'm very familiar with it.
0: I love it. I think uh, they also say it breeds contempt. Yeah. <laughs> it seems like, it seems like uh, conventional wisdom is having it both ways.
1: <laughs> I, I, yeah, that's probably true. Uh, <laughs> I would say, like, the native Google integration is great. Uh, and what it does in my pictures and everything, uploading them straight to my Google account. and um, that I mean, Google already runs my life. And I, having iOS as an intermediary in between, in between the two felt a little clunky at times.
0: Um, so that part's been cool. But, cool. All right. So yeah, I've got there. one other sort of end point I wanted to ask about. So. Yeah. I don't, so our business uses SIP phones and I have no idea how they work. So what if I wanted to have a phone on my desk that was really running over the internet that had a phone number from you guys? What's that like?
1: Um, That is a really good question. I can't answer the, uh, I can't give you a very good answer on it other than say that it is possible to do that but it might be a little bit more frustrating to implement that at the moment um, than, than doing some of the other stuff with us. But um, if you were to email uh,
0: help at toyota.com and just drop the words SIP in there, they could tell you all about how to do that. SIP and some, like, frustrating emoticons. Yeah. Yeah, and, yeah frustrated so emoticons. I think it's, I mean, you know, I'm an okay programmer, and it's a whole different world.
1: Yeah. I mean, this is the problem we're trying to solve, right? Like it's, um, historically you had to know, I mean, the, the programming languages used to interact with the telephony network is they're, they're tough and like, they're very specialized. So, uh, we want to build a world where anybody who can, you know, make a call to an API can, uh, make phone calls from their apps and,
0: um, but it's, it's taken some effort. So. so it's really true, though. If I So let's say I had a orc or wanted to buy a SIP phone and stick it on my desk and I also was using Twilio for other things. I could seriously email help at Twilio.com and say, like, I have this phone. I also use Twilio. I wish I could use it with Twilio, and they would help me? Oh, yeah, man. The help,
1: I've been totally blown away by the, huh. the support. That's cool. Yeah, they're, they've been, they're absolutely fantastic. Uh, actually, every employee at Twilio in your first week has to, uh, respond to 10 support tickets. Um, so the, it's very much a culture of empowering developers, uh, to the point where even if you get hired into, say, like the marketing department, they might not give you the most technical questions, but you, everybody who is on staff, the 300 people there have had experience answering support tickets, like our, goal is to empower developers um, to give them tools, and then we've just been blown away by the cool stuff they build. So um, that's why there's about a dozen uh, developer evangelists like me going around uh, just trying to help developers, and then our support staff is just absolutely incredible, and, um, and I've seen them just really go far, like, I mean, to the point where you can copy and paste your code into the support ticket, and these are developers working in the support staff. Um, and they will help you debug your code and figure out what's going on. Like w- my first couple weeks there, I was identifying, say like missing quotation marks in people's, uh, PHP and saying like, this is the reason why you're having issues
0: with this and, and send it back to them. Cool. All right. So I feel like we covered like a number of the, the ways that you can connect a phone number and you quickly went through some of the things. Or connected phone calls, sorry. But you quickly went through some of the things you can do once the phone call's connected, but I wanted to go over those again because I think that they sounded cool. So one is you can you can play audio, you said, right? Yeah. And that's uh uh you know tell me how that can can integrate with uh what's the What's the name for when you you know type numbers into prompts? Yeah,
1: uh,
0: yeah, it's great. So it's called an
1: IVR or interactive voice response. Um, and so I didn't mention that tag earlier, but in uh, TwiML, it's a gather tag. So it's basically when Twilio listens for the DTMF codes that the you know the the sounds that it makes when you press 1, 2, 3, or 4, or 5. Um, and then you can put a little thing in there that says stop listening for those sounds when they press on press of the hashtag or on press of the star or whatnot. You can find what that is. Or you can say only listen for uh, five of those and then stop listening. Um, and then Twitter will make an HTTP uh, request request. To an, another endpoint that you define there in your code. So it'd be like it would be in that gather tag, there would be um, an action parameter on it that defines another endpoint. And then it would pass the digits that were pressed uh, as parameters on that query. Um, so they would just come in and, uh, in the case of, uh, of Rails, it would just come in and params uh, in the digits uh, parameter in the in the params hash there um and so then you can with those uh now you know what digits are pressed you can do all sorts of things so my favorite you there's of course like the obvious use case is uh the helpline right so you call up and it's like press one for customer support press two for um for sales and then depending on what you press it then forwards your call and dials the appropriate phone number however uh, my favorite use case for this was the Slow Jams hotline uh, that was built by one of the developer evangelists around Valentine's Day. Um, and it was built for the use case in which you find yourself uh, in, desperately in need of some 90s slow jams, um, uh, but you don't have a computer near you. You could call the hotline, uh, and you could press 1 for R. Kelly um, and press 2 for Boys to Men, um, and then it
0: would play the appropriate MP3 for you over your phone speaker phone. Wow. That's, uh, that sounds like a sad line. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. lonely developer calling to hear boys to men <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, yeah hopefully with uh, with romantic interest with them but I suppose in the use case of it, it's just one person <laughs> right there
0: uh, yeah like, I, don't, I don't know if that's I mean I think I think you're right it like, kind of sounds cool to developers but I don't know on a date that that would go over super well
1: I, I would say that it was probably more for the novel use case. Of Taylor.
0: <laughs> right.
1: It was, it was actually some real-world problems. Um, but I will say, though, that, like, the code to actually build something like that, uh, you'd be talking about dozens of lines of code. Um, and so it's super cool. I mean, you can build these these voice trees um,
0: really just with a minimal amount of code. It's, like, super cool stuff. How about um, phone, uh, phone call recording? Yeah, you can do that. There's a tag...
1: Um, on there to record phone calls, you can also transcribe the phone calls. Um, yeah. And so I think the recording, cool. yeah, yes,' yeah, super cool. And the only so right now, uh, I don't believe that it's a particularly well solved problem in order to transcribe conversations. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to transcribe both sides of it. Um, But if you wanted to build something like, say, a dictation line, so say you didn't use Evernote or something, and you wanted to, if you were walking down the street and you had a bright idea, you could call a phone number, you could leave yourself a voicemail, it would record it, and then Twilio would transcribe it, and then you could use something like, say, SendGrid to email that to yourself um, but, or the transcription would just be available, uh, via an API request, um, on Twilio servers too. So if you're recording calls, we will store that for you. We'll charge you a nominal monthly, uh, storage fee. Um, and then there's uh, everything about Twilio is basically paid for you. So you pay the, uh, the dollar a month for a phone. You pay a penny per minute for the call. You pay three quarters of a penny for a text. Um, and I forget what the exact pricing is, but I feel like it's something like a penny per minute of recording. Um, and then there's uh, some sort of, like, penny per megabyte per month. Or I, I think that's – I think it's, like, probably an order
0: of magnitude less than that, actually. But uh, you can check out the Twilio pricing page and see what it is. Gotcha. Yeah, I think that'd be kind of cool for a sentiment analysis on either um, sales calls or customer service calls to figure out, you know, is this person mad or not mad or – is the topic good or bad? The, whole, that's the trans, a great, transcription. Oh, yeah. yeah, I've never yeah. thought of that before, but yeah, that's,
1: you're absolutely right. That'd be really cool.
0: Yeah, I think that there are pretty good libraries to to do sentiment analysis now, at least in English. Um, I'm sure there are in others too.
1: You, yeah, you're absolutely right. they um, Yeah, I've been seeing some of those recently on Hacker News and whatnot.
0: Okay, so so I can record a call. I can. Um, listen for and respond to numbers being pressed and then do whatever arbitrary thing I want to do um, I can play audio I can have you know you said before I could have um, I could have the application speak to the the other side yeah um, how does that is is that uh, like scale of one to ten how decent is the computer voice?
1: I'll uh, say seven.
0: Like, let's, uh, so most people would know what Siri is like, so let's compare it to Siri. Um,
1: I, I think it's on par with Siri. Oh, really? Well, Siri's I, I, not bad. Yeah, no, it's, like, there's not going to be any confusion as to whether or not it's a robotic voice, um,
0: but it, it's pretty good for a robotic voice. And, I mean, I know confusion seems like as good of a thing as a bad <laughs> thing, right? I mean, like... Yeah, that's true. That's I'd true. rather it be clear and sound a little robotic than... um than not clear.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, I will say that, uh, so you probably know Patrick McKenzie, who's a patio loving on hacker news and on Twitter and whatnot. And just a brilliant guy. And he's, uh, probably the best unpaid Twilio developer evangelist. He's built a business appointment reminder, uh, on Twilio. And, um, just is, has been great for like spreading the good news about Twilio, but, um, he gave a talk at TwilioCon, and he said that, that, uh, the robotic voice, is great for um, you know say, use cases where you're generating text for one time. But in most applications that you're building, there's going to be um, sentences that you say over and over again. Um, and in those cases, a robotic voice is great for uh, development purposes, but typically when you get to the point, We're deploying this to production, and especially once you start operating at any kind of scale. It's worth going to a website like, say, um, Fiverr.com, where you can pay someone five bucks uh, and find a voice actor on there to record those things for you and then play them as MP3. Because ultimately, uh, people who are calling your system are just, as humans, going to respond better to a human voice than to a robotic voice.
0: Yeah. That probably makes sense. I would think you could get into, I mean, I suppose you wouldn't get into the, like, uncanny valley of someone not knowing, you know, thinking that they were talking to a person when it was really computer. It would just be they know that they're talking to a computer and it would be more pleasant, I guess.
1: I don't know, man. Apparently, we just had a computer uh, pass the Turing test, so. Um, I don't know. Yeah.
0: Although, you know, here's my take on that. So I, didn't, I haven't read the, the post-announcement details, but I guess that they had the computer um, act like a 13-year-old boy. That was yeah. the the goal, but I don't know if that counts as human. <laughs> and you say this as a parent, right? Yeah, it, it, especially
1: as yeah. a parent. Yeah, uh, yeah. We have a first coming in November, so I, I have heard similar sentiment before. But uh,
0: yeah, uh, so so that just means that we can now program computers to act a little subhuman <laughs> 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 and narcissistic and <laughs> selfish. <laughs> so, exactly. Distracted, I would imagine. Uh-huh. Smelly. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, any So those are a whole bunch of cool features. Anything that we didn't talk about that is on your usual shtick of cool things you mentioned on the voice side?
1: Uh, on the voice side, um, no. I mean, I think we covered most of them. Um, yeah, like I guess the next logical place is to talk about text messaging because, uh, like voice is super cool and it's great if you're building, uh, call centers and, uh, things along those lines. Um, but what I typically find at least I iPhone. Oh, kind of oh, wait,
0: I have one quick question before we yeah, get off voice. So my favorite call center feature. So like if I have to talk to a call center, it's already bad news. And yes, uh, but, but the feature I like that I've seen people adopt recently is, um, where you call, and then instead of it saying, like, you know, you're 10th in line and it should yeah. be three minutes, they, they say, call that. I'll call you back. Uh, like, do you want as soon as I'm available or do you want to pick a time-ish? Yeah. Uh, is that – that seems like a killer feature and something that would be super easy to do with Twilio.
1: It would be so easy to do. It would, um,
0: And absolutely, I love
1: it when I encounter that. So there's a – so. Zappos, which is, I mean, they build themselves as a customer service company um, that just happens to sell shoots. Um, They have used Twilio to build out their entire customer support system uh, for, I I never called them, but I think they do this, um, for reasons like this because a lot of the -the off-the-shelf call center software doesn't support these innovative features and doesn't allow agile development and uh, rapidly iterating through new features. (laughs) Hashtag. Um, Yeah, yeah, fair enough. (laughs) Uh, and, uh, so, you know, they, they just decided, Hey, if we want to pioneer the way that we do customer service, we need to have full control over the code that lets us do stuff like what you just described. Um, and so that's why they have in-house developers instead of buying an off the shelf, uh, solution. So yeah, something like what you're discussing
0: right here, uh, would be quite easy to do. Cool. All right. So, so back to text messaging. So, yeah. the basic SMS deal. I mean, is that is that as straightforward as it sounds? Where you know someone texts and it goes to a computer and the computer can text back or do whatever else it wants to do with the data, or is there something more to it?
1: No, that's that's pretty much it. Um, you can respond to text messages. You can uh, carry on conversations and, and track the conversations that happen there. Uh, you can uh, and then initiate uh, text messages from your server side as well. Uh, our tech's pretty reasonably priced. I haven't looked at that. It's three quarters of a penny for incoming and outgoing.
0: Gotcha. That doesn't seem like too much.
1: Uh, yeah. So typically uh, people will drop 20 bucks into their account when they first uh, start, so, the way it works, you sign up for a trial account. I think you get $30 in trial credits, and that's a fully functioning account. But anytime you send a text message, it's going to prepend your message with "sent for My Trial Account. And anytime you place a phone call, it's going to prepend the call with uh, you know, Made for My Trial Toledo Account. You put in a credit card, gets rid of all that. Um, oftentimes, people will drop in twenty bucks to start off, and that lasts them uh, for most of the development cycles of whatever it is that they are, they're working on. Like the the pennies do add up over time, and buying a whole bunch of phone numbers adds up over time. But really, like during the development cycles, until something gets into production, you're probably not going to be burning through uh, your credits very fast at three quarters of a penny per text.
0: Right. Oh, so that reminds me, uh, what kind of testing rig do you guys provide for? Develop like so. If, if I was building uh, an app that integrated with Twilio and I had my whole development environment set up, do you have like a a test environment that'll just swallow the, the swallow the um, requests that I make or provide dummy answers or whatever? Yeah,
1: that's a, that's a really good question.
0: Um, if you go into your dashboard and you were to go to
1: um, the developer tools, um, man the. I cannot believe that I don't have an answer for the testing thing. That's uh, The way that we typically do it is that you have um, the – there's really good message logs on there.
0: Wait, aren't so if, you a Rails programmer?
1: Yeah, I know, right? I, I was like, well, so here's, here's – I'll tell you how I actually do Ma'am, it. Man,
0: you, you really are following this uh, DHH thing,
1: this uh, thing. Yeah, right. Well, no, no, no. So a big fan of testing.
0: Um, I just didn't have
1: an answer. But you don't I'm have really to try start. to convince me. <laughs> uh, so what I typically do is I use VCR in order to cache all my responses. So uh, I'll make sure that it – and I will typically have a developer account. Like I've set up a couple of different accounts, and I'll have uh, – so like gbogus plus dev at twilio.com and then gbogus plus prod at toyota.com just to keep my account credentials separate and whatnot. Um, and to keep my phone numbers for development and, and production separate, um, and then I'll use uh, in development I'll use VCR to cache all my responses. And then if something goes wrong, we keep really detailed logs of uh, of all the requests, so you can go back into your dashboard and you can see the HTTP request that was made. You can see the um, the the response that was sent back from your server, um, and then we have pretty good error messaging about what went wrong. Like was it a invalid XML or whatnot? Um, and then we actually just recently rolled out uh, some even more detailed information uh, message delivery service. So um, we can historically tell you if something screwed up on your server side or we can parse your XML. Now we can actually give you detailed messages about was your text message received uh, by the phone. So from to a carrier level, did your text message reach the intended device? Um, and there's a, a number of other uh, status messages that will come back. Uh, and the way that that works is that you just define um, an endpoint that will receive the uh, debugging information um, that comes back every time that it, that you try to place a text message, so you can capture all of that. That's nice. Yeah, but big fan of using VCR for this stuff because you don't want to, especially when you're doing things like buying phone numbers. Um, you you really don't want to have like be purchasing a
0: phone number every time that you run your tests. Right. <laughs> yeah, that could add up. Yeah. Uh, okay, so what about, what about MMS and sending pictures by text? I see that yeah. on a list of, of things that are supported, but uh, tell me more yeah, about so it.
1: The, the bad news is that currently in the U.S., and I'm sure you have a, an international audience, so, uh, but in the U.S., we cannot send and receive MMS from long codes. We've been fighting with the carriers for a while, and for some reason they still haven't given us permission to do that. So once we get the permission, we'll roll that out pr- pretty quickly because we actually already have the functionality built on our side. We, you can send and receive from long codes in Canada. Uh, so if any of you are Canadian, that's uh, great news for you. It's an advantage you have over the Americans right now. So by long code, I mean the 10-digit phone number. Now, if you were to purchase a short code, then you can send and receive MMS, but those are, in most cases, prohibitively expensive uh, for, for what people will be doing here. So I mean, we hope to have an announcement about that in the near future, but it's unfortunately out of our hands. And gotcha. Sometimes the battles we're fighting are, are with these um, slow-moving regulatory
0: bodies. Now, what's the deal with short codes? It seems like a – it seemed weird to me.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think that they're like all the rage – uh, I think that it was easier to programmatically interact with them five or ten years ago, and I think that they were easier to put on billboards and whatnot. Um, and now that you can send and receive text messages from, like, these programmatically obtained long codes, uh, I just don't see people using MMS, or uh, uh, the shortcodes, as much these days. I mean, how uh, short is a short code? I think it's five digits. Yeah, I mean, so five versus ten. Yeah, I yeah, know. Um, In most use cases, I think you're probably better suited by uh, using these uh, long codes. The other thing that we actually just recently rolled out um, are uh, you can send and receive text from 800 numbers. So you can buy 800 numbers from uh, Twilio or you could actually port an 800 number that you have uh, already owned into Twilio and then have your customers text there now. Obviously, with text messaging, it's not like there's long distance or fees associated. But um, for marketing purposes, some people just find it cool to be able to uh, to text an eight hundred number, which is not something that you know you've just never thought of an eight hundred number being uh, attached to a cell phone. Um, so that's kind
0: of a new thing that we're just recently doing. Now, so, yeah. So why do people use eight hundred numbers now? <laughs> is it is it because it, like I don't know? it symbolizes something. Cause I mean, it's not like most people are paying long distance charges. I know, you know. Right. I think it's a legacy. I think it's a holdover from when we, at least when my generation, I'm 35. Uh, like when I was growing That's right, up, we're the same. I'm one year older, but I forgot okay. we're about the same age. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think it's just one of those, uh, those
1: legacy things that, uh, you'll see in like the next 10 years. I don't think 800 numbers will be much of a thing anymore. It seems like a vanity. Deal. Yeah, it totally is. I mean, like it's short codes it's easier to remember I I guess maybe but it's not even you know 800 numbers like most of the awesome 800 numbers are gone so you know then there's like 888 and then all these other variations on there so then you get to the point where it's not even that much easier to remember it's kind of just another uh, area code there so um, yeah I think it's just it's probably something that people who are uh, have, let's say, more years of experience uh, than we do, um, still feel like it's really important to have.
0: Yeah, and it's something to
1: sell, I guess, too, for you guys. Yeah, yeah, I mean, people want it. People We offer 800 numbers. They're more expensive. Um, and people buy them, you know, but I think that most of the developers listening to this probably aren't as interested in that.
0: Mm-hmm. All right, I should do the... Uh The second and last sponsor, if you don't mind. Yeah, go for it. All right, so second sponsor today is Squarespace. Um, So I'm going to tell you a bit more about them, even though I'm sure everyone has heard many Squarespace uh, ads on many podcasts. Uh, They are a great supporter of this show and others, so uh, I'm going to give them our full attention. (laughs) So uh, Squarespace is the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website, portfolio, and online store. For a free trial and 10% off, go to squarespace.com and use the offer code RAILS. So uh, I bet someone has hooked up something from Twilio with Squarespace, whether it was a little soft phone on their Squarespace website or whatnot.
1: Yeah, and actually before we talk about Twilio, I just want to say that I have, as my previous company, our deputy CTO needed to create a website
0: for wait, what's the um, deputy CTO? Uh,
1: he's basically like the, the you know, CTO's go to guy, right? So uh, he takes as much of the load off of the, the CTO as possible. So, um, so he does a mix of like DevOps and, and development and managing a team and whatnot. So uh, I just say that to say like he knows what he's doing. Um, he needed to create a website for his wife's business. And use Squarespace for it, and just absolutely loved it. Noel uh, Rappin uh, also worked with me it's a company called TableXI, uh, who's kind of well known in the Rails community. I believe he uses Squarespace for his uh, uh, for his personal site and his writing site and whatnot. So I've been really impressed with them. Like I know several hardcore developers, hardcore Rails developers, uh, who could certainly build a site from scratch and have still chosen to use Squarespace and have been quite happy with it.
0: Cool. Do you, do you have any Twilio Squarespace stories? And if you don't, then that's fine, but I was just curious.
1: Yeah, actually, you know, if you go to, um, uh, even without writing a whole lot of code, if you go to Zapier, I don't even really know if it's Zapier or Zapier, um, they've got some cool ways just to, to connect Squarespace and uh, Twilio together. I'm trying to, I'm actually like just looking right now on our website to see if we have any case studies that I can talk about on there, but I don't see any off the top of my
0: head, so... Um, I, I, think, know, I think your one plug was pretty good. So, it was Zapier, Zapier, whatever it was. Yeah. All right. So, uh, Squarespace is constantly updating their platform with new features, new designs, and more support, like Twilio. They have beautiful templates for you to start with and tons of style options for you to adjust so you can really create your own space online or your wife's space online or your husband's or <laughs> whoever <laughs> has roped you into helping them out. Uh, everything's drag and drop, so it's easy to add content from your desktop and even rearrange elements of content within a page. Squarespace makes sure your site automatically looks great on any device because every Squarespace website has its own unique mobile design. You can connect to Twitter or Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, or other web and social services, and they have e-commerce on their platform. So if you want to set up shop and sell stuff online, you can do that in just a few minutes. It's easy to use, but if, if uh, you need some help, they've got 70 employees on their customer care team located uh, in both New York City and Dublin that are available 24-7 for live chat and email support. You can try Squarespace for free without a credit card, and if you decide to purchase, plans start at just 8 bucks a month and include a domain name if you sign up for a year. So get your 10% off and support this show by using the offer code RAILS. I want to thank Squarespace for supporting both 5x5 and the Ruby on Rails podcast. All right. All right. So uh, let's recap some things that we covered. Okay. So uh, if I if I have an existing business or I'm starting a new one and I can use Twilio too, uh, uh, host all of my phone numbers, route calls to, to either directly to phones or to applications that can interact with the person that's called and then, you know, do more of the same. Uh, I can uh, also make phones on top of the API to use in the browser or uh, on my mobile device device if I, uh, am brave enough to, to figure out the sip answers, then maybe I can have a phone on my desk that connects to, uh, over the internet. And, uh, if I want to text people or have them text me and interact or not, I can use SMS to do that. That's, that's Twilio. Yeah.
1: And actually just as uh, a couple of the SMS use cases. So two factor off is a big one uh, that a lot of people use tutorial for.
0: Yeah. I like that. That's a
1: good, I like when people do that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh... and then another one is just in general. Um, you know, I think texting is about the most intimate form of electronic communication we have. So if you send me an email, uh, I will see it in the next couple hours and I'll respond, uh, in the next couple of days. Um, if you send me a text, I'll probably see it right then and there and I'll probably respond right then and there. Um, and so, say for instance if you've ever taken an uber uber sends all their text messages through us so when you get the 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 message that says your taxi is waiting out front for you there's a reason why they send that as a text message instead of an email so text is great for situations in which you need an immediate response i don't think it's nearly as effective for things like um just spamming people like this um and we actually we build in uh, our service responds to say stop. Like when you do the capital stop, it will stop sending you text messages from that number. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but in situations in which you need to get a hold of someone right now and they've given you permission to get a hold of them right now, uh, texting is pretty much unparalleled in cutting through a lot of the electronic crap that we
0: deal with. So, I, I bet you've gotten this question a lot of times, but is there. Uh, currently a feature that you offer or a product or will there be to iMessage someone so you uh, get the you get the blue bubble bubble not the green bubble
1: yeah that's a great question uh that's that's something that's
0: obviously quite interesting to us but we don't have a announcement to make on that either. oh man every time i see the the green bubbles that are sent via companies it sort of bums me out because like i know they'd want to send the blue bubbles if they could
1: yeah yeah um, you know, one of the, I just as a bit of a, for no good
0: reason, by the way, like not that I think that that should be important, but it just seems it. That...
1: Well, yeah, I mean, as a, uh, I just switched right, to Android and there is a huge problem right now with iPhone jacking your, uh, messages. If you switch your phone number, if you port your number over. So when we ported, uh, and we went to Android, Apple still had our number registered in their system as, a, uh, to use iMessage for it so anybody who had an iPhone who had ever communicated with us, maybe mm-hmm. me and my wife uh, via iMessage their messages would just go into a black hole and would never actually arrive at my new Android phone and it's a big problem, it was on Hacker News a couple of weeks
0: ago on the top. <laughs> is, is that how we're going to judge what's a big problem?
1: <laughs> <laughs> very, very fair. Very fair. Uh, I just want to say I'm not the only one dealing with this. Uh, but, we, yeah, we had to call Apple. We had to go through all of our device, devices and, and change our iMessage settings and then uh, call Apple and actually have them remove it. And then it was even still a couple days. We had to have a lot of people who texted us, delete us from their contacts, and then add us back in. Um, and I say that to say that... Um, the some of these you know messaging over IP, the problem they're awesome. The problem with it is that they're siloed, and it, it can be quite frustrating. We're getting more and more and more of these, right? So you know your WhatsApp messages can't necessarily communicate with iMessage, which cannot communicate with Google Hangouts. Um, and so
0: I love them, but uh, it does lock you into a specific platform, which is kind of frustrating. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't think it seems like there aren't truly open alternatives, whether it's a, a SMS on, I guess the phone network would be the closest with SMS though. They've charged a ton for it. And otherwise you're in these, you know, siloed messaging networks of some sort. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it will get better,
1: but as of right now, it's uh, it's one of the problems with it.
0: All right. So two last things. Are there any big capabilities that we just totally missed?
1: No, man, I, you did a great job covering it. You know, typically people focus on
0: the the
1: voice and the SMS and we miss the client part. Uh, but you really did some homework there. I really appreciate that. So uh, I think you, you nailed it.
0: Well, I mean, hey, we all have to communicate with phone and text, inbound and outbound, and we're all going to solve it one way or another. Duh. So it's, you know, especially for developers, I think it's nice to to the idea of being able to control it is, is nice. And I think the, the idea of being able to have, um, or the reality of being able to have people that you work with that are, are more virtual concepts than sort of sitting in a room with phones that are plugged in that you bought is nice. Um, so. Yeah,
1: the world is undoubtedly moving in that direction. Um, yeah,
0: yeah,
1: you know, we're just seeing more software replace more and more things that used to be dependent on hardware.
0: I would really so. This is a, a for what it's worth, two cents. But I really think like the, the adoption of Twilio, um, well, continued adoption of Twilio by by the developer community would really benefit from more good open source projects. I um, think you're right, and I don't. I mean, I don't know if that's part of your charter as a developer evangelist with Twilio, but it seems like there's more leverage in open source than there is, in like just. You know, one by one, convincing people, or at least, you know, or at least the combination of the two is interesting. So I'm not sure if that's a big focus, but it would be nice if it was a big focus.
1: Yeah, that's certainly something that uh, me personally and, and my team could do. Uh, could do a better job of is, is building more projects and putting them out there uh, for everyone to play with. So, and then you get well, to program more which is always nice. Uh, yeah, still so going to do a bunch of coding and the best part about this job is that I more or less get to code on the stuff that I want to code on. So it's right. a lot of pet projects a lot of helping developers out with uh, uh, miscellaneous things. Um, but uh, yeah, it's just I, I get to work on all sorts of stuff now. It's just been a lot of fun. So. But you're absolutely right. I, uh, I would like to especially in the Ruby ecosystem. So I'm a I'm a Ruby guy. And, um, so I personally would like to, in the next few months, put up some more open source stuff for for people to play with. Cool.
0: All right. So if people want to connect with you personally, how should they do that? Yeah, I'm at GregDB on Twitter, G-R-E-G-G-Y-B, uh, and I'm GB at Twilio.com. And if they want to learn more about Twilio or interact with you about Twilio specific stuff, I guess the same deal.
1: Yeah, uh, I'm happy to answer any questions uh, about Twilio stuff. Uh, I'll also say our docs and especially the quick start guides are fantastic. Uh, So before I got started with Twilio, you know, I was going through them as someone who had not built a Twilio project before, just someone who had some Ruby knowledge, and I think probably took me about 20 minutes before I had my first text message sitting on my phone uh, from Twilio. So. Uh, that I had written Ruby to generate. So uh, it's a lot of fun to play through. And if you run into any problems, just either help at com or
0: gb at twilio.com. Awesome. All right, Greg, thanks, uh, thanks a ton for joining me. If uh, someone wants to connect with me online, I'm barely known on Twitter. Thanks.